Welcome back to Matt Chats, a huge episode, one that I recorded a fair while ago, I haven't released it yet, but you're here now and you're going to get to hear it, it is with uh, ex-South Australian keeper Tim Ludeman, uh, I had my good friend uh, Gooch help me out with this one, uh, go have a listen, it's quite a, quite a good listen, Tim Ludeman, you know a uh, wicket keeper, big hitting batsman, uh, it was a good chat, so go have a listen, plenty more to come in uh, 2022, so looking forward to it, enjoy uh, Tim Ludeman. Hayden, welcome back, you've been on the podcast before. Uh, yeah. But we've got a bigger guest. Um, you only get me in to do the big dogs these days. Last time it was Usman Kadir, and this time it's it's much, much larger than Usman Kadir. Definitely bigger. Uh, wicketkeeper batsman, uh, scored a lot of runs. Uh, Tim Ludeman, welcome. How are you, mate? Gentlemen, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, Tim, uh, first of all, what are, you, what are you doing these days? Obviously, you're not at South Australia anymore. You're not at the in the big bash. What are you up to these days? Is Are you still playing a bit of cricket? Are you involved or are you just chilling out doing your own thing? Uh, no, not playing at the moment. Post, post uh, the Renegades, I, I coached Geelong Cricket Club and, and played in Geelong. Um, but, yeah, I didn't play last season and, and looking likely that I probably won't play this season either. Um, I sort of love my fishing and, and other hobbies, so I've sort of just stepped away from it a, a little bit at the moment, but I'm, I'm sure I'll get back into it at some point. Yeah, fair enough. Now, you played a lot of first-class cricket, um, 47 matches, uh, 1,658 runs, uh, a big century in there as well. Uh, what were your, your highlights throughout your career, first of all, just some of the big moments that you enjoyed? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, probably wasn't lucky enough to taste success. Obviously, that's, that's what everyone wants to, to achieve in their career. But um, South Australia probably struggled through that patch a little bit. But we did we did certainly win um, quite a few field games, I suppose, by the end. And we were starting to build something quite quite nice there. Um, but I suppose first-class debut is something that always stands out. That's always a... a a moment to treasure just with obviously there's a lot of hard work that goes into getting there and as a kid you, you have dreams and aspire to do things and when you, when you get to that level um, you know that's probably one thing that stands out for me but um, just the, the players you play with and against and you, and you meet over the journey um, you know I was fortunate enough to play with some, some really good players in South Australia and um, you know Philip Hughes being one of those and you know to, to play with him um, and then obviously um, go through the, everything that happened and play in that match um, you know that was probably a not a highlight but um, you know he's such a special human and it was just great to be a part of that I suppose. And you look at the start of your domestic career you started with Victoria before moving across to South Australia there was obviously some very good keepers in that Victorian side and um, you were fortunate enough that Graham Manu did get called up to Australia's one day side so you managed to crack into that SA team but what drove that move to South Australia and looking back now do you, do you regret it at all do you think maybe you would have preferred trying to fight for your spot at Victoria or do you think going to South Australia was the right decision for you? Um, yeah, it was one of those ones. Um, South Australia approached me. Um, I, was, I played a couple of second eleven games at the time and come through the junior pathway there. But um, South Australia didn't have a backup keeper um, on their books behind Graham Manu, and, and they sort of, you know, Choco was playing some some good cricket, um, and they thought that he might have been a chance to play for Australia. So they felt like they needed to have a backup keeper there, and I think that's why they approached me um, and offered me a rookie contract. So yeah, I. I 
grabbed that with both hands because there was no guarantees in Victoria. So I, uh, I jumped to that and moved over to SA. And yeah, I'm glad I did because um, it was an easy journey and such a great place to play cricket. Um, obviously, Adelaide Oval and, and Adelaide City itself is a beautiful part of the world. So to um, to get over there and spend sort of eight or nine years over there, it was um, yeah, it was something I wouldn't wouldn't change for the world. I had, I had a lot of fun and made a lot of great friends um, friends for life. Now, cricket as a kid, how did how did that all start with you? For you, was it always cricket, or were there some other sports uh, around as well that you enjoyed? Um, I was probably like most kids. Uh, I was footy and cricket. Um, obviously, footy in the winter and cricket in the summer. And cricket sort of we were probably more of a footy family, I suppose, growing up. And then, um, yeah, I just loved wicket keeping for some reason. And then Santa Claus actually bought me a set of gloves when I was probably seven or eight, I suppose. Um, and that sort of yeah, grew the bug and, yeah, I just um, never really put the gloves down after that. And just loved everything to do with wicket-keeping. Probably, that's probably why I wasn't much of a batter. It was because I probably neglected that because I just loved keeping so much. So, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of how it all started. And, and I was from a small country town um, where they didn't have sort of, you know, under 12, under 15, under 17, and all that sort of stuff. We struggled to to fill one junior team, which was under 17. So I think I started filling in for that, which uh, my brother was captain of at the time, and I was only 10 or 11 years old. So I'd come in and field a fine leg in, in 11 and, and just make up the numbers, basically, to start off my career. So, um, yeah, it was sort of funny how it all started, but, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't change it. The country upbringing was, uh, was good fun. Now, you say you weren't much of a bat. You did have that big batch period where you were basically scoring runs for fun, just hitting them out of the park. Was there anything that contributed, like coaching? Were there any words of wisdom that, that happened, or was it just a purple patch to you where you really just uh, felt like you were honing your game? Um, oh, it was probably a combination of a few different things. I think I was lucky enough to have some really good coaches um, throughout my journey. Um, you know, from from the country days, um, Ian Lefty Wright out of Warnable, who was a bit stalwart from down that way, and then Stephen Field, and obviously my my grandpa and and my dad. But um, you know, Darren Berry took me under his wing and and um, helped and guide looking keeping and batting for myself uh, in Victoria before I moved to South Australia. And then eventually he um, he got the coaching job in South Australia too. So we sort of rekindled uh, our mentor relationship there as well. Um, and he was he was yeah massive in my career, um, and then I think I think the way I batted just suited twenty twenty cricket. I, I didn't like to defend or not not that I didn't like sticking it out. I suppose, but it was more just I like to be attacking and take the game on. So when you got a license to do that, it probably just freed me up a bit and allowed me to to play the shots I wanted to when I wanted to, and and yeah, take the game on. So it was yeah probably just a combination of coaching and. And he had a game suiting my style. Now, as a keeper, especially in the big bash, you would have faced some pretty fierce bowlers with the gloves. Who were some of the bowlers that, you know, you maybe weren't too keen to face or too keen to come on when you did have the gloves because you knew they were setting them down thick and fast? Yeah, it's a good question. I was probably fortunate enough to keep uh, in state cricket and in, in the big bash to Sean Tate. Um, obviously, the wild thing could get him through, and he was good fun. It was sort of a weird sensation because you knew it was coming so fast, but then you're standing so far back from the stumps. You almost have to um, somehow control yourself um, in your eagerness to to wait and hold a good position. We keep getting more 
because um, the ball actually took a long time to get down to you. Um, so, he, yeah, he was he was one of the, the great ones to keep to because he he didn't really have great control, I suppose, compared to your standard bowlers because of his action and how fast he did bowl. So he didn't really know where they were going. So you had to be on your toes and um, yeah, yeah, just be be really switched on. So he was good fun to keep to, and in the end, play played against him when he played for um, the Renegades and the. In the hurricane, so yeah, he was probably one. Brett Lee was probably another. He was um, obviously of the same pace, but a beautiful action. So um, and he he had amazing control for speed that he was sending them down at. So he was he was a good one. But um, Dirk Nanners, he was probably um, one who was fast and swung it, and he had, again a whippy action. So it was a bit a bit harder to pick up at different stages. But yeah, we were probably very lucky with um, with I suppose through that period the the amount of good fast bowlers that we did have. Now, you never had a, a bowl during your career because you obviously had the gloves. Did you used to bowl at all as a young fellow? Was there ever a day you guys couldn't grab, grab a week and said, lads, let me take the gloves off. I think I can strike here. <laughs> not not in not in first class cricket, but in, in first day cricket in Adelaide, I did have the pleasure of. Um, I took the second new ball uh, the second new ball in one match. Yeah, uh, I took the new ball in the second inning, sorry. One game and took two for ten, yeah. um, and actually nicked, nicked off our, uh, our opening batter in first class cricket at the time, Sam Raphael, who's batting for South Australia, and I had a nice little upswinger and just nicked it to second slip. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was quite a funny moment, I suppose. When I don't I don't bowl heaps, but being a wicketkeeper, I do fancy myself as a bowler. So as we all do. Now, on that note, you are only 34. Do you think maybe that there is a first-grade side that could maybe try and tempt you out of retirement? I know you like you like your fishing, but you think maybe what, what kind of offer would it take for you to, to come out of retirement and even come on for a bowl as an exclusive bowling all-rounder these days? <laughs> yeah, well, my knees and knees and hammy should be fine. Um, now, I, I haven't missed it uh, this last year, but... Um, yeah, I suppose I probably fell out of love with the game a little bit um, on the back of the Philip Hughes stuff. Um, that really shook up a lot of people and and myself included. So it's probably that probably made me not love the game as much as I used to. Um, so that's probably why I'm enjoying time away from it. But I think I'll come back to it. Um, but it won't be it won't be at a Premier Cricket level. I think I'll play local cricket in, in Geelong or something like that, um, and just just play for the love of the game again and, and try and give a little bit back and coach some young kids and things like that. Probably will will be uh, more what I'm after. Do you still watch a lot a lot of cricket on TV like, at an international level or you just sort of don't just sort of check the scores and don't follow it as much? Um, I probably I probably don't sit down and watch like the Ashes and things like that when they come on. Obviously in Australia I think it's like a keen interest, but I wouldn't sit down and watch a, another international series that Australia isn't playing in. But yeah, I, I, I keep an eye on the scores and watch the highlights and things like that for sure. You know, cricket cricket's in my blood and in my veins, so it's um, yeah, it's one of those things you you, you do follow it, um, yeah, and, and keep a kind of close eye on, on people you played with and, and played against and things like that, and how well they're going. Now you said you had a few bowlers that were really tough to keep to. Who would you say was the toughest bowler you had to face when batting? Um, it's a good question. It's probably um, it's probably Mitch Johnson. Um, I remember we came up against him a few times at the Wacker. Um, obviously on a bouncy pitch and he was sort of fighting for his test spot at the time um, and he was copying a lot of heat in the, in the press I suppose about his bowling um, so he was sort of trying to prove a point and 
we always seemed to get him on those games. So, um, yeah, he was probably, yeah, when he was on, he was yeah, scary and fast um, and skillful. So he sort of ticked all the boxes. And he didn't really like facing him too much. Now, on a bit more of a current note, obviously you're stuck in lockdown. Um, I wanted to ask what, what you are entertaining yourself with in lockdown, but I also wanted to bring up um, a tweet from August 7th. You said, breaking, my vanilla slice is missing. Uh, contract traces within the Ludeman household have narrowed it down to three wives, daughter, or dog. Did you ever find out who took the vanilla slice? And just as a whole, how, how has your lockdown been? What have you been doing to keep yourself busy in lockdown? Yes, yes, I found uh, found it all around my daughter's lips, my vanilla slice. There was remnants all over her face, so I did find out that one. But um, yeah, it's been challenging uh, the last sort of eighteen months um, with COVID. But um, I've sort of been lucky that my work now is um, considered essential, so I've still been able to to get around from different different stages. But yeah, it has been it has been tough, but. Um, yeah, I'm a bit of obviously playing cricket, a bit of nothing. I've got a cylinder mower, so I like to mow the lawns, put the strips and stripes in the lawn, in my lawn and things like that. Um, so you find you find ways to keep yourself entertained, but yeah, when you get a, a young family, that certainly certainly takes up a lot of your time. Uh, you you said you played a bit of footy as a kid. You you been following the AFL at the moment? Who who do you go for in the AFL? Yeah, I've been. Oh, well, yeah, I've always followed footy pretty closely. I'm, I'm a Geelong man. I grew up. Uh, in a lot of ways, uh, place called Miranda, where uh, Paul Couch um, is from. So he's sort of uh, a family friend of, of my dad's. So, um, yeah, he, he was obviously a Brownlow medalist in 89 and a Geelong's hero. So, uh, yeah, didn't really have a, another choice, to be honest. I was a Geelong supporter from the day I was born. Now, a lot of people you see, uh, cricketers, athletes of other varieties, they try to sort of meet the players in, in the AFL scene using this sort of athletic celebrity status, or they try to get better seats. Did you ever use that as a, you know, a high-tier domestic T20 cricketer? Do you ever try and get a little leeway to get the good seats at the footy or maybe go down and meet the squad? <laughs> no, it was, no, not really. Um, it, it was... We were lucky, by the way, it's more like a small country town. It's probably similar to Perth, I suppose, in a lot of ways. But you sort of train at the same venue, so you do get to know a few of the players and, and things like that. And, and the SACA um, had corporate boxes and tickets and stuff um, that they would put out to their members every AFL game. So I, I did used to go to see them and do talks in them for the games and um, you know, talk about the, the cricket and things like that um, to the members to keep them updated. So... Definitely had its perks, but I wouldn't say I went out of my way to um, to do that sort of stuff. I think it's probably a little bit wankerish. <laughs> now, for you as a keeper, what, what what's the the best sort of dismissal as a keeper? Is it in my head? I I've, I'm not a keeper, but I'd assume it would be a, a batsman advancing to a spinner and then getting him stumped. Am I am I wrong there, or is there something else? Uh, leg side stumping off the quick ball is definitely the best. The best, I reckon. Yeah, for sure. All right. Now, you look at, obviously, from a keeper's perspective, there's a lot of discussion about who the next keeper would be after Tim Payne. Um, Alex Carey, I believe you might have probably been around. You would have been around at the same time he was within South Australia. Is he at the forefront? Is someone like a Josh Inglis or a Jimmy Pearson at the forefront for you? Who do you think is the next keeper after Tim Payne? Yeah, yeah, I, I did have cross paths with Alex. Um, he's a and a great leader, um, and I think he's probably, I think he's been, I suppose, 
for Test. The Test arena probably been anointed at the moment as the next in line. But if you dug a little bit further to my tweets, you would have seen one me pumping up um, English probably um, just started the Big Bash, I suppose, last year maybe or even earlier than that. I can't remember. But, yeah, I think he's he's definitely um, got all the attributes and he's, yeah, he's a very good glove I really, really rate his glove work and obviously his batting has come along um, come along a long way. So I was pretty pretty stoked when I saw him selected for the, the T20 World Cup squad uh, because I think he's a player of the future and I think he's really, really chomping at Alex's um Alex ankles as far as the, the test cap. So it'll be interesting to see which which path they go down, but I think we're those two there. But, but by far, um, Tim Payne is obviously the best keeper in the country. And I know he has got a bit of flack over, over time, but he's, yeah, he's definitely number one. He's streets, streets above everyone else as far as glove work goes. And I think that's far more important than any, any runs that you can make. As West Australians, we can very much agree with your sentiment that Josh Inglis is a very underrated uh, keeper, batsman, and it's about time he got an international gig. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was happy to see it. So, but, um, yeah, they're both, both very good in their own right. Now, as a keeper, a lot of keepers like to provide a bit of banter behind the wicket. Was that something you indulged in a fair bit, or were you more more on the quiet side? Yeah, I was, I was probably the complete opposite, I think, um, yeah, I, I didn't say much at all. Unless something needed to be said, I would never go searching for it. I'd just I'd go about my business and try and do the best job I could catching the ball and, and doing that. But from time to time, it would chirp up. But yeah, very, very rarely. I used to cop a lot of flack from teammates and probably more coaches and teammates about not offering enough as far as sledging goes. So yeah, it's one of those things that just didn't really interest me. I was too busy concentrating on my own game to try and put someone else off. And you've played a lot of cricket with South Australia. So you'd probably feel very aligned to South Australia. Currently, they're they're not playing the best cricket in terms of their shield side. What do you think they have to do in, in this sort of situation from your experience? Do you think it's a matter of backing you? Do you think they try and recruit some more experienced players? What do you think the next steps are for South Australia? Yeah, it's a good question. I think if I knew the answer to that, I'd, I'd probably have a job there running the show because if there's been quite a few people going there and trying to fix it and coaches and... Um, the board have sacked plenty of coaches that um, you know that they they put in place to to do it the right thing and um, yeah it turns out that no one's been able to fix it yet but uh, yeah it's a good question they they do need to recruit I don't think the depth in South Australian cricket is big enough uh, but they're just got to be smart about who they recruit you can't go recruiting um, players that aren't up to it and, and fringe players in other states you need to recruit good solid cricketers who can come in and have an impact. And, and drag the, the talented young South Australian youth with them. Um, and, and those guys that they do recruit have to be where the holes are. You know, you're not going to go recruit um, a gun all rounder if, if you've got two in the state already. So you just got to make sure you, you, you align where the holes are at the time and, and put experienced people who can add value in those roles and then get the, the good quality South Australian youth around that, which they do have. They definitely do have it. It's just harnessing that and, and using it wisely, I suppose, or doing it properly. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, Mike Hussey did a review over there, whether that's going to change much, I'm not sure. Um, cricket, cricket gets a lot of the blame, but uh, I don't think it's got much to do with grade cricket. I, it's probably the culture from the top has to change. Um, it's probably as simple as that, really. Um, yeah. Uh, 
obviously over your career, you played at a lot of different grounds too. So I wanted to know, did you have a favourite ground you played at? And was it all based on what it was like out in the middle? Was it also change room based, maybe the best showers or most spacious change rooms that you're like, yeah, I'd like to come back here? Or is it always what it's like out in the middle? Um, probably a combination of a lot. Uh, Adelaide, it's hard to beat Adelaide Avalon. I think most cricket people you talk to are probably, they'll always be biased to the home ground. But if they're, if they're serious, I think Adelaide Avalon's hard to, hard to knock back with the, the still recognising the old, with the, the fig trees and the grass hill and the cathedral in the background while you've got the new modern stadium around that. Um, it's pretty hard to beat. Um, but, I mean, they're, they're all good in their own way. SCG is pretty pretty cool, the old stand, and as far as change rooms go, talk about change rooms, they're probably not the best in the world, but as far as old and unique, um, the SCG is hard to beat. MCG, it'll be all, you know, a big batch there in front of a massive crowd, it's pretty cool. Um, the Whackers, obviously, brewing as well. Um, the Furnace, when, um, when you're playing big batch there, it was, it was really good too, so they've all got their own, their own positives, I suppose, and then, I don't know, um, probably one of the best grounds or games I played in was in um, the Champions League in India in um, Bangalore against um, Bangalore, the IPL team, when South Australia played in the Champions League and there was only 40,000 people there but um, it felt like there was about 120,000 people there, it was a pretty amazing experience so that would be one ground that stands out in my memory. Now, you talk about best grounds, best locations to play at, but the most important thing after a cricket game, um, especially if you go to win, is the beers and the circuit afterwards. Um, you would have spent a lot of time on a list as a young player. Where, where in your memory do you think had the best circuit when you were going around playing cricket? <laughs> uh, anywhere that's got cold beer is good, but um, I was always a fan of Tassie. Tassie was very underrated. Um, beautiful part of the world, beautiful old English style pubs. Um, cargo bar down there does a beautiful pizza and normally has a bit of live acoustic action. So I was a bit more old school. I didn't really need to go to um, rave places and DJs and things like that. I'd rather a bit more acoustic and just sip on a beer and um, yeah, talk a bit of dribble. But yeah, you uh, very underrated. Uh, last few, just a, a few different ones. Uh, do you have a favourite movie? Um, probably Castle, Stick Australian. Yeah, nice. Okay. Um, just one on uh, the Big Bash, obviously. Uh, one thing that's used a lot in the Big Bash is getting players on the mic. Um, you obviously had one moment that stands out more than any on the mic. Um, just, just talking broadly, what, what's that like trying to, you know, talk to the commentators while you're also trying to focus on the game? Do you find it distracting at all? What is that experience like of being out there with the mic on trying to focus on two things at once in a sense? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. You speak to a few guys, it's not for everyone. Um, some people find it very distracting, but I suppose it's just being able to zone in on, on what you're doing. I'm pretty good at at any at anything as knocking out of external noise and things like that. So although you've got an earpiece in and there's people talking, you can hear them talking while the ball's coming, bowler's coming in and things like that, I'm pretty good at focusing just down the line and, and zoning in on that and blocking out that external noise. So I didn't find it too challenging, but um, it's good fun. I think that sort of stuff is good for the game, and I suppose it shows you know, what the player's thinking in the moment, um, which you can't can't replace, obviously. Uh, that, that's brilliant insight. And then, obviously, it shows another side of the person, you know, the people who are on there and 
I probably was never really big on talking about tactics or things like that. I, I offer a bit of personality, I think, in the show. You know, one of my, um, I suppose, party skills in the impersonations and, and show that I'm not just a boring, cliche sort of person, but I can actually, you know, you know when I have a beer, I like to do my impersonations and do that for my friends. So that's the, the sort of person I am. I try and have a laugh when I can and, and keep things pretty entertaining and, and light and funny rather than be serious all the time. Uh, now, growing up, did you have a favourite player that you, you looked up to? Uh, I did, yeah, it was Ian Healy. Yeah, okay. Uh, what about a favourite meal that you used to have after celebrating a big win? Did you have any, any go-to meals? Uh, I'm just a steak man. I'd have a steak every night of the week if I could. <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty normal sort of country course sort of kid. I just yeah, steak, steak. I'm not a big veg man. I probably didn't have a great diet. I was more a steak and chips and a nice diet or mushroom sauce or something. Yeah, and uh, what about music? Do you do you like the new stuff? Do you like the old stuff? Are you a rap man or you're an Australian music man? Nah, definitely the old stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do like the probably my most favourite band though, the Killers. Um, I do love the Killers stuff. So, but yeah, old school. It's been a great chat. I really um, appreciate you coming on, and um, hopefully we see you back on the cricket field real soon. Uh, Bomb with a new ball. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. Yeah.